Well, hey everybody, Jonathan Doyle with you once again. Welcome to the Supply Side Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope I can bring you some value today. Uh, really looking forward to doing this. I've just, I got up at about 4am. I've been doing a lot of reading. I've got a head full of stuff that I want to share with you guys. It's, uh, it's minus three degrees outside at the moment. Yes, this is Australia. Everybody thinks it's nothing but sunshine and kangaroos. Well, we do have some of that, but we don't have it right now. We have midwinter. It's minus three. So in about half an hour, I'm going to be uh, out of the studio onto the trainer bike. I've been riding Zwift a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with Zwift. It's a really fascinating online cycle training thing. So I've got a race coming up in a couple of months. 255 kilometers and five kilometers of vertical climbing. So I'm trying to get plenty of training in. So uh, I'm going to keep this brief today, but I have some gold for you. I've, uh, we're going to talk Adam Smith, we're going to talk Nathan Lewis, we're going to talk George Gilder, and uh, just uh, pumped to be sharing this with you today. I want to start with some insights from Adam Smith in yesterday's quote. So as I've mentioned, I do a daily quote from some area of classical economics or supply-side theory, so you've got to make sure you're on that list, and you've got to make sure you're on that list so I can get you the podcast each day. The simplest way to do it, I think... Yesterday, we just tweaked this. Um, if you're hearing this and you're new, just go to supplysidepodcast.com, supplysidepodcast.com, and throw your details in there, and then you're on the list. And um, So please do that, supplysidepodcast.com. And the last bit of housekeeping, uh, Twitter. Find me at Supply Side Show. Supply Side Show on Twitter. Come and say hi. All right, we're going to talk Adam Smith. Adam Smith was uh, piqued my sort of interest yesterday because uh, Dr. Samuel Gregg, who we've interviewed on the show from the Acton Institute, shared a great quote first from Lord Acton, where he said this. He said, But it is not the popular movement, but the travelling of the minds of men who sit in the seat of Adam Smith that is really serious and worthy of attention. Lord Acton, the great thinker himself, uh, pointing us in the direction of Adam Smith, saying it's not so much populism that matters. What really matters in political economy is men and women who have been formed, as he says here, in the seat of Adam Smith that is really serious and worthy of attention. So that led me to hunt down some Adam Smith quotes. And uh, I really like this one. So this was yesterday's quote. Adam Smith says this, In general, if any branch of trade or any division of labor be advantageous to the public, the freer and more general the competition, it will always be the more so. One more time. In general, if any branch of trade or any division of labor be advantageous to the public, the freer and more general the competition, it will always be the more so. So you want to make something more advantageous to the public? Well, then make the competition around it freer and more general. You want to make something really positive in a culture? You want to see people flourish? Then the more that we can remove centralized planning and control, according to Adam Smith, who I will dare to say probably was a little sharper on this stuff than I am, the more freer we can make it, the more of a blessing it's going to be to people. So I don't know when you look out your window, but I'm not, uh, I don't think you're seeing uh, a free and unfettered uh, landscape of competition. It's amazing here in Australia just to see the pace at which planning and control and uh, all sorts of tariffs and all sorts of craziness going on. So 
thing about history, huh? We do. Uh, we tend not to learn its lessons until we vi- enough suffering is visited upon us. All right. So that's Adam Smith for the day. Let's just be reminded of the crucial importance of freer and more general competition. Now, I want to talk to you about Nathan Lewis. I'm a big fan of Nathan Lewis. Nathan's been on the show twice. He's a uh, he's a money manager. He's just a girl. He's got he's an author. His work on gold, his books on gold are just extraordinary. And Nathan and I are going to do a series on MMT in the next week or so, Modern Monetary Theory. So what Nathan's done recently is started publishing on Substack. So if you're not, listen, if you're not familiar with Substack, you've got to check it out. Really simply, Substack is part of the decentralization of journalism. So uh, as digital journalism, the big journalism, uh, the big sort of publishing houses have been impacted in a digital world. A lot of really great writers have started to build Substack followings where they can be paid for their writing. Uh, It's inexpensive, but the value that you get from the right people can be extraordinary. So my current favorite is Paul Kingsnorth. I'm a huge fan of Paul Kingsnorth's writing. I think he's just brilliant. So he's worth checking out. But Nathan writes the Polaris letter. I'm going to give you a couple of high points today from the latest one. And uh, Nathan, if you're listening, please forgive me for sharing a couple of these brilliant insights with people. But uh, I'm doing it in the context of telling everybody to go to Substack, type in the Polaris letter, and get yourself on Nathan's list because it's really good stuff. So he his latest uh, edition today was just extraordinary. It was voluminous. He covers so many things. The data and analysis is extraordinary. But he's talking about market tops. I want to share with you a few key quotes. How do we pick a market top? Uh, you know, people are constantly talking at the moment about the everything bubble, right? The everything bubble. Uh, the uh, huge amount of global excess liquidity has inflated asset bubbles all over the place. I mentioned yesterday one example, Doug Noland pointing us to, what, 7.3% year-on-year inflation plus 18% year-on-year growth in the U.S. housing market, 18%. So let's talk about uh, everything bubbles and let's talk about market tops. You know, Nathan shared that great quote in today's uh, post where he said, you know, they don't ring a bell at the top. I mean, wouldn't that be nice, right? Wouldn't that be nice if if you got an email that said, hey, everybody, this is the market top. Get out now. And he in the letter, he also talks about some of the greatest fund managers, you know, Druckenmiller, for example, getting caught out in previous uh, times. So even the best of the best uh, can get caught out, particularly if they're managing other people's money. It seems to be something about when you're managing your own, you make decisions and take chances that uh, often people having to manage other people's money don't take. But listen, here's this quote from Nathan, direct quote. Major tops tend to be characterized by speculative excess. I love that term, speculative excess. I think it's very true. He says, there is a distinct party mood, an atmosphere of giddiness which was not there before. Often we see a final surge where total garbage rises 5x or more in the space of a few months. Total idiots buying total garbage get rich quick, while prudent investors go nowhere. Probably they are sitting in cash or boring value-themed stocks, which are being sold by people who want to chase what's hot. Market professionals, like fund managers, who know garbage when they see it, get fired when they are outperformed by total idiots. Or today... 
by the market index. Usually, this period of speculative excess lasts less than 12 months, and Nathan says I would date it from November 2020. So I think that's a good synopsis of what we're seeing in terms of this speculative excess. Um, I love some. I just love his turn of phrase. I think he, you know, total idiots buying total garbage get rich quick, while prudent investors go nowhere or get fired. So uh, it's such an unusual time, isn't it? Uh, the fundamentals are just all over the place. And Nathan goes on to say here, it's really perverse how holding cash introduces an intolerable level of career risk for anyone who is not investing their own money. If anything, it is worse today than it was in 2000, which goes some way to explain why stocks and bonds are where they are today. So the the theme of this letter is really he talks a great deal about holding cash and the ability. You know, he references, of course, you know Warren Buffett, where where you know you want to be fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful. So this particular letter is really talking about the relationship that we have with cash in these interesting, challenging times. And one of the things I learned from reading it today was that you know when you're managing, like I've already mentioned, when you're managing other people's money. You're not allowed to sit on cash, right? You know, the people are like, you know, we're not paying you to sit on the cash. Get out and chase something. Whereas if you are sitting in your own cash, you're probably much more likely to make intelligent, informed decisions. The other thing uh, he's talking about, too, the other point I wanted to bring up was artificial suppression of the gold price. So I'm a big gold guy, and uh, I remember months ago starting to study some stuff on artificial suppression of the gold price. And Nathan says here, also, I think we have seen some unusually aggressive involvement in the gold market, especially the gold futures market, basically as an attempt to keep gold prices from rising, the dollar falling versus gold. All right, so I'm not going to go deep into this, but I think it's something that we all need to have on our radar if we're interested in classical political economy what sort of world are we living in where central banks are artificially suppressing gold prices? So, And when that gets unleashed, when that genie actually does get out of the bottle, when something is held down, you know, you ever, you know, that, you've ever taken like a beach ball or something, a swimming pool, and you try and swim to the bottom with it, and you hold it down there, but eventually when that thing gets loose, it just shoots through the surface and gets airborne, right? So it's interesting to think... Um, what's going to happen when the genie finally gets out of the bottle. Peter Schiff's been interesting this week. Uh, if you want to, want to see a blood sport, just go and read Peter Schiff's Twitter feed and uh, all the uh, Bitcoin hodlers going toe-to-toe with Peter Schiff when he talks about suppression of the gold price. So go check that out. Uh, the last thing Nathan says here is, the Fed seems to be making a pretty big effort to keep the dollar's value roughly stable versus gold. You see, I don't think that's in the mandate, right? What is the mandate of the US Federal Reserve? It's uh, full employment and stability of prices and uh, vast pools of ink have been spilled recently about the creeping mandate of the Fed and the more and more things it's getting into. But I think if you look at the Federal Reserve Act, I, unless I'm mistaken, you're not going to find anything in there about its uh, about a mandate to manipulate the price of gold. So thank you to Nathan for bringing that to our attention. Now that's it on Nathan's stuff. Look, it's, Like I said, that's just scratching the surface of what he's done. So get across to Substack, the Polaris Letter. Uh, and get in touch with what Nathan's doing, and you can find him on Twitter as well. All right, the last thing I want to do, because I've got to get out of here, is uh, my great friend Mike Kendall from the Man on the Margin blog has uh, sent me a video 
a really recent video with George Gilder, which I think is great, and I'll try and put that on the daily email again. I, I put it out a couple of days ago. You know, George Gilder is just an absolute force of nature, incredible guy, just had such an impact. So he's being interviewed. It's a 25-minute interview, and I want to give you a couple of high points, and I'll pick up some more of them tomorrow. So if you're not familiar with George Gilder, where have you been? But uh, a futurist, a technologist, uh, in this interview, he talks about he was the first person to put a microchip in the hand of Ronald Reagan. He had a meeting with Reagan, and he put a microchip in his hand. He said, this, Mr. President, is the future. Um just uh you know he's been right at the forefront of uh futurism is that like a tautology to be at the forefront of futurism uh and technology for many many years so here's a couple of high points from this interview uh gilda says that the internet is a broken paradigm the internet itself is a broken paradigm launched without a ground state of security or facts so, of course, the internet coming through places like, you know, DARPA, the uh, Advanced Weapons Research Institute uh, at, in the U.S., you know, the, the internet was really built for scientific and military communication, but it was built and it evolved without a ground state of security. So I'm going to give you these two themes that he talks about. Uh, one is that the, the internet is a broken paradigm without a ground state of security. The second he references in the interview is what he calls the global scandal of money. So by that he means the fact that the biggest market in the world is in fact, and some of you would know this, is actually not food, it's not commodities, it's not oil, it's not equities, it's global currency trading. Global currency trading running at roughly $7 trillion a day, and Gilda says that it's 70 times larger than the combined daily global trade in goods and services. Hear that again. The global forex market, is 70 times larger on a daily basis than combined global trade in goods and services. So he's pointing to a couple of huge global problems. One is the instability and the problematic aspects of the internet. And the second is the manipulation of finance for the profiting of a very small subset of the population. So we're going to summarize those two things. We're talking about a global crisis of both finance and communication. That's what we're living in. That's what's really the backdrop to what we're experiencing. The everything bubbles, all these different things, uh, fake news, um, you know, the collapse of the center in politics. So many of these things are related to these core issues of crises in finance and communication. Really interesting time to be alive. Um, you know, we won't go deep on this, but but there's a, you know, essentially it's a, there are seismic forces at work in the world right at the moment in terms of wealth redistribution, manipulation of markets, manipulation of access to information. So what his Gilder's suggestion, uh, he's really pointing to blockchain. He's saying that blockchain provides the opportunity to rebuild the concept of the internet and also to rebuild aspects of finance. So I'm going to wrap up, but why this is important, so I did the Oxford program, I did the blockchain program at Oxford and uh, in, in uh, blockchain theory, and really what we're talking about is the battle between centralization and decentralization. So really what is at the heart of the blockchain project is the idea that of a disintermediation of control and power, right? So that data, information, financial accounting, transactional records are decentralized rather than centralized. 
So I'm going to dig more deeply into this interview tomorrow, but there's a few things just to get you thinking about. Yeah, you know, because this is being resolved now. I mean, the the current manipulation of markets, uh, central banking cartels, the manipulation of information and access to information, all of these things are in crisis mode and they're being resolved now. Now, I think it's going to take another few years, but I think this will be an epoch-changing moment in human history as we renegotiate what it means to be human, to be in human community. I mean, here in Australia, as I record this, we've got the vast majority of the population locked in their homes. So there really is a battle on between individual autonomy and centralized control. And so, yes, it's playing out in lockdowns and COVID, but it's also playing out in Forex markets, central bank manipulations and access to data. So stay tuned, friends. Uh, You're not going to die of boredom, I'll tell you that. That's it from me. I'm going to have more for you tomorrow. So uh, go check out Nathan's Polaris newsletter. Um, Please make sure you've subscribed. If you like and watch you here, then uh, jump across to supplysidepodcast.com. Supplysidepodcast.com, pop your details in. I'll give you everything else there. Uh, Come and join me on Twitter, supplysideshow, at supplysideshow. But um, please make sure you subscribe, friends. I'm enjoying doing this. I hope it's useful to you. My name's Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Supply Side Podcast, and I'm going to have another message for you very soon.